Hey everyone, welcome in to another episode of Real Sports Talk by Naraj. Hope everybody had a good weekend. Four days away from Christmas and the holidays and all that stuff coming up, all the good things. Definitely need a break for sure. This week I'll try to get in as much content as I can about around the sports world, the NBA season kicking off on Tuesday. Um, college football coming to its end, the best part of the season, which is the college football playoffs, bowl games, things like that, and I get into other things as well throughout the week, which I can. So what I'll kick off things with um, is the college football conference title games and the recap of the performances, the teams that were involved, and what ultimately was decided in terms of the college football rankings. So Ohio State, as we know, the Big Ten originally had canceled their fall season, and then they reversed course, seeing how things were coming in, and they had a season in which, you know, was challenging for every team in the country, and... You know, every conference navigated their own way through it. Now, the SEC played more games. Um, ACC, same thing. Big Ten, Ohio State played about six games or so. Um, And a lot of people, a lot of people are saying, man, like, how can they reward Ohio State for only playing six games and stuff like that? To be honest, Ohio State winning, you know, two, having two, you know, victories against top-ranked opponents or in the top ten really is what what put them in, and they earned to be here. They've been through a lot of adversity, a lot of situations with COVID and practicing and all those kind of things, Um, and the teams behind them, as much as they want to admit it or not, you know, the lack of a top 10 victory or legacy the strength of schedule and in the way that they you know went about their games totally different from Ohio State I think Ohio State definitely more earned it but speaking about the Big Ten title game Ohio State beat Northwestern 22 to 10 Ohio State didn't get anything going on early on <clears throat> excuse me Justin Fields had two interceptions actually and a very quiet game by his standards uh, he was mostly carried by the performance uh, running back Trey Sermon, who had 29 carries, 331 yards rushing, and two second-half touchdowns in this game because they were down, you know, 10 to six, I think, at the half. Like I said, Ohio State came, came overcame a lot of adversity, a lot of uh, things. They, they didn't play without their, you know, they played without their top wide receiver, who ended up not being able to play due to the COVID testing and all those things. So, you know, Ohio State really had to rely on their running game and their defense in the second half, which came through. And, um, I mean, this running game really carried Justin Fields in this game. Now, he did have a sprained right thumb um, in the second half, which may have, you know, affected his performance somewhat. Uh, but, you know, Fields is still, you know, very, very effective in different ways and, he was able to really just do a good job of setting the play fake, handing off the Trey Sermon, and Sermon really did, did, did a big thing for Ohio State. And as a performance-wise, running the ball, 
they really ran the ball a lot, and that was mostly because of, because of you know the way that Justin Fields kind of had played early on. They wanted to you know re- reinforce the running game, which they did really really well. Northwestern couldn't sustain their momentum after the first half. They had played really well on defense, um, but their offense really could not do as much. Um, I expected more from quarterback Peyton Ramsey, to be honest. He didn't play great either. Um, he had turnovers as well, and they had you know they didn't have enough big plays in the game. Not enough big plays in the game. The running game wasn't as strong. Uh, which really didn't help them in the second half, and that's why they ended up losing. So, you know, Ohio State may have played fewer games compared to Texas A&M, but like I said, being Northwestern, being Indiana, their margin of victories, um, they didn't lose as bad. They didn't lose, you know, a game at all. A&M did. That's what it comes down to. A&M lost the game. They lost to Alabama in a pretty bad fashion. So for all those players or Texas A&M who are tweeting out a joke and all this about the college football selection and everything like that, I don't know what kind of thing you guys are thinking, but by the committee standards, by college football standards, you lost the game earlier in the year. Yes, you play a lot of SEC opponents, um, but... You lost to Alabama in such a bad fashion. You barely beat Florida, and we saw, we saw how Florida wasn't really that good of a team until later on in the season. So, you know, A&M players gotta, you know, move on and forget about it. They can have a, they can make the case for an expansion of the, of the playoffs if they want, but they, you know, finish strong and they will have a bowl game, and we should hopefully hopefully they will win. Because that's what they need to do to finish off a season that they had, which is one of the best in their school history with Jimbo Fisher. Um, so that's what I think about that. Iowa State was number six in the country. They could not beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. Oklahoma jumped to the top 10, but they already had two losses on the season. The Big 12 really does not have too many signature wins. And look, this is, the, this is the thing that I've been mentioning a lot and people probably haven't realized or not. This year with the pandemic and everything, I think it was change. Everybody was adjusting some kind of change. Schedule changes happen, trying to schedule. If each conference was able to schedule some games against each other, then maybe it could have been you know, more of a case for a Big 12 school, a Pac-12 school. But they didn't end up you know, winning the game they're supposed to win. Iowa State missed out on a great opportunity. And they just did not play well. There was a there was a penalty in that game, which I didn't understand. But overall, I mean, you look at it. There's just some things that can't be controlled, and I think all schools involved did the best that they could. Um, but this is what the results are. And now, you know, I'll get this a little bit, little bit later. But you know, Iowa State, you know, finishing how they finished. And Cincinnati, you know, who finished undefeated. Yes, the level of competition. Uh, did not, you know, wasn't as good as the SEC or ACC. And so, even though Cincinnati finished undefeated this year, I mean, if they were able to play a Big 12 school or a Big 10 school or something like that, then they would have been strengthened their case. But look at the teams that, you know, are in and have been able to make it over the years. I mean, you want the best of the best in college football. And 
you know, just Cincinnati's just not there yet. And maybe Cincinnati needs to think about moving to a, moving to one of these conferences. They want more consideration. So that's where I'll leave that at. You know, it's the college football committee has a big job, as it is almost every year, trying to figure out things in terms of scheduling and ranking and stuff. And this is what, you know, they having these conversations, strength of schedule, eye test, um, I feel like, you know, A&M didn't really pass that as well as Ohio State did. Now coming to the ACC championship game between number three Clemson and number two Notre Dame, this was the most anticipated rematch um, of the college football season. I was talking about this big time. The first matchup was was a thriller back and forth. Notre Dame won 47 to 40, but boy was it a different game in this. a much different game this time around with Trevor Lawrence back and I did not expect this result actually I know I, I picked Clemson to win this game but did not think they would do so um, in routing Notre Dame so Clemson ended up beating Notre Dame 34 to 10 and I thought the game would be, would be more competitive but Notre Dame just never got it going they struggled to get anything going in this game I mean, Ian Book had 219 yards passing, no touchdowns. Kyron Williams, who torched Clemson's defense last time, was held in check, 50 yards rushing, and no TDs. Um, and I said, the biggest difference was Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence coming back, you know, healthy, fully prepared. He came out, had 322 yards passing, two touchdowns in this game. Overall, Clemson had 412 yards of offense in this game. And biggest thing was Travis Etienne, who had a very quiet game the first time these two teams met, really stepped up, had 124 yards rushing and a touchdown. That's the kind of performance you want from your running back in a crucial game that you had to have. And Clemson did just that. Wide receiver Amari Rogers had a big day. Um, and how about the Clemson's defense? They did a huge job in limiting the Notre Dame wide receivers, not letting McKinley get going, uh, shutting down the running game, pressuring Ian Book. That defense really t- took it on themselves to play much better than they did the first time. And they really stepped up and didn't allow Notre Dame to get too many big plays um, in, the, in the game at all. And despite Notre Dame's loss, they played against a couple of top-ranked opponents. They were one of the best teams all year. And even with a loss, they still, their resume speaks for itself much better than A&M. You know, because you look at it, you know, Notre Dame's only losses was to a Clemson team that they beat the first time, right? And then you look at Texas A&M, they beat, lost to Alabama, you know, by 28 points. And you look at Notre Dame, they lost by 24 points. So s- small things like this come, in, come into a factor into the college football committee's decision to rank opponents. And, you know, that's why even with the loss, Notre Dame um, is in the college football playoffs. And, you know, obviously they would have loved to win the AC championship, championship game. Um, but now the bigger test and their chance to bounce back and prove it you know, Notre Dame's chance to like prove their championship material or their makeup 
is to go and try to beat Alabama in the college football semifinal, which will be taking place on New Year's Eve, I believe. So that is their biggest thing that Notre Dame has to worry about is now they've they lost to Clemson. Yes, now can they refocus, get ready for the biggest game they've had in a while against Alabama. The SEC championship game was actually the more exciting game because of the scoring style and the offenses putting up big points. Great performances by Mac Jones and Kyler Trask. Um, Alabama won 52-46. to Mac Jones for Alabama had five touchdowns, 418 yards passing. Nigel Harris, the running back, um, had 128 yards rushing, two TDs. And how about Devonta Smith for Alabama? Just playing at a high level, you know, 15 catches, 184 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, what a performance by this Alabama offense that really just put it on on Florida. They really put it on Florida. Um, his defense. I mean, they just could not contain Mac Jones, this running game, Devonta Smith. They were firing on all cylinders in this game. And, you know, that was expected because of how they were looking all season long. Kyler Trask put forth a great performance against all odds um, against him and Florida. Uh, they obviously were looking to play a much better game than they did last week. And they came out, you know, and just, you know, Kyler Trask did his thing, played really well. He had three touchdowns, 400 yards passing. He, Kyler Trask needed more help from Florida's defense. The Florida defense did not play good at all. Uh, they could not get stops when they needed to get stops. They got maybe a couple more stops maybe late in the game. They could have made things interesting. The running game was just not there for Florida. And that, you cannot have that kind of performance in the running game against Florida, uh, against Alabama, I'm sorry. Because that will not get you done. So, you know, it's all Kyle Trask and he, you know, kept trying to get them back in the game. Um, and he, he really showed something. You know, he played well against a, a defense that really did a good job all season long of containing opponents. But he had one of those rare games, uh, which, you know, validates that he could have some good potential. As an NFL quarterback, maybe next year if he gets drafted, maybe in the first or second round, probably second round, depending on how things go. But you know, he proved a lot um, in terms of his ability to play, and you know, it was a more entertaining game because of the offenses and scoring. I really think that you know, Florida, um, they've got some nice talent there. I think their defense definitely needs, uh, uh, you know more help and more recruitment because they need to get better in that area um, in order to really challenge going forward in the um, SEC West um, and in the conference itself. So now it's all set. The matchups are set for the college football playoffs. Alabama will now face Notre Dame fighting Irish in the uh, Rose Bowl. So Alabama versus Notre Dame in the Rose Bowl. And then you have Clemson and Ohio State in the rematch in the All-State Sugar Bowl. This is a rematch from last year, which will be a great game to watch Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields go at it once again. So these are the two matchups, uh, the four best teams in college football, and we're going to the playoffs. 
Now the college football uh, playoff system has been around for about seven years, and you know there have been some analysts that have called it, you know, a really bad system is broken. There are a lot of teams, a lot of conversation going on about, you know, what college football, you know, future of the playoffs is going to be. A lot of people feel that based on this year with the schedule and all the games that were played, I mean, some teams really had an impressive resume. Like I said, BYU, sorry, BYU uh, Cincinnati undefeated, you know, A&M with one loss, you know, those two schools having the biggest case for that. And so you look at it and, you know, overall the system, people have called it predictable. That it's always going to be these four teams that I'm talking about right now. Like, that's what's been going on. Um, and, you know, it's it's about competition. It's about, you know, spirit. So a lot of teams feel like they're playing um, always for just the conference title game or the bowl games. And I think a lot more schools want to be considered for the college football playoffs. And so... Expansion is, is coming. I mean, it may come for college football in the playoff system. Having eight teams will probably be, be much better. Um, now, it would give room to, like, more scheduling and more games on TV. And they would have to probably extend the season, which is, I think that's why they're not willing to do that. You ask me the reason why the committee may not want to change the system. Because I don't think that, you know... Kashmir wants to have their season run through like late February, or I don't think they want it to run like during the time the NFL has like postseason action going on. I think that's why they won't uh, extend it because you know they have to negotiate with a lot of TV uh, outlets and stuff like that in terms of games and stuff. But you know. I like seeing the best teams in action, the ones that really have looked good all season long and have earned it. A&M, do they deserve to be in? I don't think so, to be honest. I think they just, they were winning games against a lot of SEC opponents, yes. Conference is a bit more stronger, yes. But they missed their chance. If they had been more better against Alabama early on, then they could have made a case for that. Same thing for Cincinnati. They could have just been able to win. Um, they, they, they needed help from Clemson and Ohio State. And that did not happen, you know. So all those teams and all those people are saying that Ohio State deserves to get in. I mean, the eye test, the strength of schedule they had, the victories that they earned, they deserve to be in. Um, but in terms of this system that college football has had, with all this reaction and stuff that's been going around, I wouldn't be surprised to see them reconsider and talk about the college football playoffs. If they want to invite more teams, it would be better. I mean, we could see some really uh, great matchups that we have never seen before. Although, we don't know how the games would be, you know. The quality of games may or may not be as good, but we'll never know until they go ahead and implement the system. But with eight teams in the playoffs, you have more games, more scheduling things. Um, and a lot of prospects really then have to extend their windows and stuff like that. So I think two things need to happen for college football. Um, 
that I think they should really consider going forward into next year after this year is complete. I think number one, I think each of these conferences need to get together and they need to limit the conference games. Because the whole thing is like, this year because of the pandemic, they had to play conference games, right? A lot of, a lot of teams on the outside of the top four felt like we couldn't, we couldn't uh, you know, play quality opponents. We, you know, we are not being considered because we didn't do well as, this, as Alabama did in this game or Ohio State in this game. So I think they have to just limit the, the conference games maybe. Why not? Limit the conference games for every school. Maybe four games, five games maybe. And then if you really want to make it more fair and interesting to every team in the college football uh, system and the top 10 to top 15, then have less conference games and have more more games against non-conference opponents. Have games outside the conference. Let's see the ACC have like maybe you know four to five games conference games for each team let them play the big 12 the pac 12 the aac let them play these schools now it will take a lot of uh, obviously revenue and decision making to make these games happen there'll be a lot of money involved for sure uh, but let's see non-conference matchups more why not now yes it it will you know we do want to see obviously the conference games be good the classic LSU, Alabama game, Florida, LSU, um, Notre Dame, Clemson. We want to see those matchups, but let's limit it so then we can get more cross-conference opponents, more you know non-conference games, so that the, the, these teams that feel like we've been you know ignored or not considered strongly enough for the college system have a case. I think that'd be a great idea. Limit the conference games for each school: SEC, ACC, all the conferences, Big Twelve all the games, limit all the conference games to maybe about four or five or six games maybe, have the rest against non-conference opponents. Now, the, now it may have been that way in the years past, but I think it needs to be done more now based on the reaction that we've seen from all the other teams that, that weren't able to make it to the college playoffs. And, you know, expansion definitely would be something that they have to do. I think if they can't, um, if they can't go with the first thing that I'm talking about, then yes, they gotta expand the system, try to compete with the NFL, the NBA, um, have more games, give more teams opportunity to earn, earn their spot and get, get into the playoff system, have a, a reward for that. You know, it would be great to see a lot of other teams get a chance in, in, in the system. We get a lot more matchups, a lot more college football, and everybody loves college football. On Saturdays, um, make it all Saturday football, or all you know, schedule certain games on certain days. If Clem- if college football really wants to do this, they can. They just have to know that they're taking on a challenge if they expand the playoffs because more games, more TV scheduling conflicts, stuff like that. If they can invest in that and go for the system, then it'll be great. Um, I'm all for it, but I really think that. The biggest thing to watch out for now is obviously, you know, how the season finishes out. You know, what changes will happen. Recruiting is going to take place. Obviously, um, it's all about how this committee and how these conference, you know, these um, you know ads and athletic directors decide how to proceed forward. I'm sure there will be a lot of conversation in the off season 
when everything is complete this year about the coffee ball selection committee and all those kind of things and I can't wait to see what kind of things do happen with college football uh, in the next season when they do have a full slate of games possibly and we'll see if they go with these changes that I'm recommending because they definitely will um, be something that they have to have on the table um, for the future of college football. So in this segment, I want to talk about a couple more NBA teams um, that are, you know, on the low level, not as dominant, not as impressive as some of the other teams that we've seen in the bubble and throughout the years. But these teams are always trying to fight and make their way into being a competitive team for their city and their franchise. So two of those teams I want to talk about today. One. The Detroit Pistons and number two, the Charlotte Hornets. Now I'll start off with the Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets have gone through a lot of changes throughout the years. Michael Jordan being there as an owner, and you know, one of the things that Michael Jordan hasn't been able to do, or let me just say he hasn't been able to make it work and win. Um, is being an owner, you know, he's made some decent things over the years, some decent moves, trying to get this team to play, play competitive and all those things. Jordan's still the greatest basketball player, um, you know, ever, hands down. Um, and, you know, we know that LeBron, Kobe Bryant, uh, others are in that conversation, but it's always been Jordan. But as an owner, as an executive, you know, he just hasn't been able to make all the top-notch basketball decisions. Um, now, front office changes have happened, you know, with this team as well, and they just haven't had a whole lot of salary cap at times. A hard time recruiting free agents to Charlotte because of the culture there, not being able to win games. Um, you know, Campbell Walker was there for a number of years, and he wasn't getting anywhere. And then once he departed, this team went young. Into, into a rebuild you see how Kemba's doing in Boston now so you know Charlotte's had a tough time in terms of getting talent um, and being able to you know, draft talent at, at a good pace now they had 23 wins last year which is not you know a good standard at all um, but during this past season that, that was able to happen for the pandemic you know younger players got opportunity to play such as Devontae Graham, who's a guard. You know, Terry Rozier was their big signing, I think, a, a couple of years ago from Boston. So he's been able to play well at times, at certain points uh, throughout his tenure in Charlotte. And so they've been trying to get these younger players more opportunities to play. This team is learning how to win, obviously. Um, the biggest problem they've had at times is just shooting, uh, you know, making baskets, playing good defense when they, when, they, when they have to play good defense. And those things come with experience and with a coach um, that they hope will be the answer for them. And James, I think James Pargo is the head coach, I believe. Uh, I think that's his name. Um, but, you know, they've got a coach who's got a lot of things to work with this year. 
Now the Hornets did get Gordon Hayward, um, who was one of the best players at a certain time before he got hurt. And the key for Gordon Hayward is just to be healthy, um, to be on the court as much as possible because they are going to need him to be available um, for their younger players to feed off to, to make the extra pass. If Hayward can somehow just recapture some of the, you know, some of the potential he had when he was in Utah, it would really bode well for this team to compete possibly in the Eastern Conference, at least for a play-in spot, um, if anything. Now, the guy that they did draft, who they have a lot of promise and, and, and hope for, and Jordan took him without thinking, was LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball, I've, been talk, I've talked about him before, I think, in one of my episodes. Uh, he seems to be a much better shooter than Lonzo. Remains to be seen how well he can you know, become over time. But he's been a polarizing player so far because of his IQ, his passing ability. Um, you know, he wants to make the teams like Golden State, um, Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, think about that. Uh, you know, thinking about passing over him. Now, we know that, that the Warriors already had Steph Curry, so it made no sense for that. But, you know, you look at the Minnesota Timberwolves and Anthony Edwards, um, the jury is still out on many of, the, of these prospects. It's only preseason, and the NBA season is starting up, um, you know, tomorrow night. So, you know, overall, you look at things and how, how it's working out, uh, for LaMelo Ball so far, you know, Anthony Edwards was more of a player that they needed at that position, right? For the Hornets, they wanted somebody who could run their point, be a facilitator, be a scorer. They hoped LaMelo Ball was going to be that person. And preseason, he's shown some flashes of some good scoring. Uh, he did score, I think, 92 points in one game. Not, uh, obviously, in NBA, but... I think in the Australian Basketball League or something like that. Um, LaMelo Ball has experience playing more basketball, I, I would say, than the rest of these prospects have. I think Anthony Edwards only played a year at Georgia, if I remember correctly. So, you know, LaMelo has been involved in a lot of different things, obviously, with, you know, Lonzo and LaVar Ball. Um, but he, you know... He could have gotten number one overall. I thought that he should have, just based on the fact that you know the Timberwolves are obviously trying to compete and get talent. DeAndre Russell's a nice player, um, but you know, facilitating-wise, it still needs a lot to be desired, and so and size-wise as well. So that remains to be seen how Anthony Edwards does does do in, in Minnesota. I'm sure he'll do fine. Um, but Lamelo Ball, Charlotte Hornets. Gets to you know run the ball, run the point, make some great passes. His shooting is getting better and better. Um, he can be one of the best players uh, of this year's draft class, maybe in the NBA. It's all about how does he develop his shot over time and how much playing time does he get will be very very key. Um, you know, but he can make good reads and you know. I think that over time, his shooting ability will get more confident um, as it goes along. There is some decent talent on this team. 
um, that they could, you know, maneuver around certain players and make it work. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, head coach James Borrego, yes, yeah, his name. You know, he's gonna have to really do, do a good job of like maximizing the most um, of the lineup that Lamella Ball will be in because Lamella Ball, if he's able to work with some good shooters and Hayward and Graham and the rest of these guys. I mean, Charlotte could get more, they could get more tempo in their, you know, their offense, more quick looks, and maybe their offense will be more free-flowing with LaMelo Ball at the helm. So I think he's going to work out for them really, really well. Key is, you know, with his size and his ability. I think on defense, um, he'll be able to do some things, um, but he's got to get consistent, and that starts when they first start playing these games. I think as you see him play, I think you'll obviously with all these players that come in, in the NBA, strengths, weaknesses, and how well do these coaches develop this talent is the key. I really hope Charlotte has a good plan to develop Lamella Ball um, because he's going to need that to succeed um, as a as a you know a, a pro and All Star player potentially in the NBA um, for the next years to come. Now the other team that I want to talk about is the Pistons. The Pistons have, you know, had you know quite a, a, a history, you know, in terms of the style of basketball they used to play when they were back in the Jordan days. Those rivalries. Anybody who's watched the last dance documentary know exactly what I'm talking about. How the Pistons were such, such, such a you know rough rod team, uh, play, play, playing physical and winning at a very high high pace and you look at this franchise now and they just have not been able to recapture their success since Chauncey, you know, Chauncey Billups and, and Ben Wallace um, you know retired or left the team you know it's been a totally different Pistons team over the years um, the biggest known names now on this team as of right now are you know Derrick Rose and Blake Griffin two guys who um, you know, had promising careers um, starting out and then injuries and just playing time and not being happy in the situation really, you know, flexed them out of that spot. And Derek Rose has worked so hard to come back from his knee injuries and become a, a you know, really good player, a solid player that can give you, you know, 15 points a game good defense, good game-winning ability, you know, shots and stuff like that. Blake Griffin, um, kind of the same thing, you know, started with the Clippers and the Lob City and all that, um, but he's really adapted his game to be a better shooter, um, more dominant inside, things like that. Now, these two guys are expected to play well on a rebuilding team, like I said, because this team's hoping to get younger and better in the long run. Think they've made a front office change as well so um, they're going to be trying to draft younger players try to trade assets and I think in this year's draft they drafted uh, Killian Hayes a point guard who's supposed to be one you know supposed to be really really good for them the biggest change uh, I believe is you know having Dwayne Casey now as head coach Casey with his record in, in Toronto and the things that he did um, he's hoping to replicate that same success um, to the Detroit Pistons. Now, you know, with Toronto, it did take time. You know, they got better and better every year with 
Lowry and then DeMar DeRozan and Rudy Gay and then things started to get more and more better as they were able to get into free agency and be aggressive so the Pistons are hoping to do the same thing trying to you know he's trying to work with this roster see what he has um the Pistons will be competitive because of Derrick Rose and Blake Griffin this year and Dwayne Case's coaching you know that will be key um for sure uh Jeremiah Grant is a new addition to this Pistons team he came from Denver, who you know, who gave the Lakers a run there in the Western Conference Finals. So you know, Grant's going to provide some really good shooting on this team. I think that will bode well for this team uh, in the immediate right now because you know you want to have you, you you need shooters in the NBA on the outside, and some teams struggle to get that kind of shooter. Um, and so hopefully, you know, you'll see guys be able to play well off each other's strengths be able to shoot the ball Jeremiah Grant may be able to develop into a more of a better player with more minutes um, that he was receiving prior and so I'm excited to see what he does the question is how well will this team you know mesh well the youth and the, and the veterans you know Derrick Rose and Blake Griffin whether they admit it or not uh, you know, that's, the more they play better I'm sure the value, the trading, the trades will come in terms of, you know, there'll be trades coming for, um, you know, Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose if they play really good, really good early on, and they're winning games, uh, their value will go up. And I'm not sure about their, their contracts in, in terms of their contract and stuff, but I think the Pistons would want obviously to get the most they can. Although, I mean, these two could stay put in this position. It's very possible that they could stay put in this position. But every time we know, sometimes players play at a high level and then, you know, they're traded or maybe the team is not doing so well and they get traded. So, you know, I think this year, Griffin, Derrick Rose, two names to watch with the trade deadline that will come up this year very possible that one of them could be dealt for some assets and stuff like that. Uh, it remains to be seen if they do do that because like I said, Dwayne Casey is there and Casey would want to work with some stars, some known players that he can really try to coach hard and impart upon his wisdom on the younger players. So they overall have a decent team. They could compete maybe with the Atlanta Hawks, Orlando Magic and the Wizards, you know, in the... Um, in the Eastern Conference of the 8th spot very possible you know it's all about you know Rose and Griffin they have to be productive they gotta be healthy um, because that's as far as this team is gonna go these two are not playing or are not on the you know available on the court as much um, during this year then the Pistons will really struggle to shoot and score it's very imperative that Dwayne Casey and this team get off to a good start try to balance this roster out see what kind of assets they could get they obviously are banking on Jeremiah Grant to replace the production that Christian Wood gave them although that remains to be seen if he will be able to do that um, but they got you know Killian Hayes there they got some other nice pieces that can get more playing time it's all about Dwayne Casey how he coaches his team um, and Derrick Rose if he continues to play at a high level uh, I'm sure that he will be a popular trade target for a lot of these teams looking to win a championship this year. 
Um, so you know, should be an interesting season overall for these two for these two teams. Uh, obviously, the other teams that I haven't talked about as much, but I know that as we go along and start the NBA season, I'll be trying to talk about some games, some teams, and how they're performing, offer my view on them, things that they have to work on, and it should be fun to talk about basketball as it starts up, especially with the two games tomorrow night. We got the Brooklyn Nets, Golden State Warriors, we got the Clippers and the Lakers. And then Christmas Day, a lot of big matchups, which should be a treat. Um, and should be a, lot, be a lot of fun uh, to break down afterwards. So I'll get into that when I can. As for tomorrow's episode, I plan to go into a little bit about college basketball, the latest top 10, top 15, top 25 matchups. And I'll also be recapping NFL Week 15, the things that we saw, we learned. And depending on how things go, I may or may not be able to preview next week's games. But all I know is that we're entering a crucial time. Playoffs, you know, playoff positioning for the AFC NFC is coming down to the wire with the last two weeks of the season. Um, and I'll get into all those things with my Week 15 recap in tomorrow's episode. <laughs>